Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with breaking news. Another volatile day on Wall Street. The Dow is about to close in just moments. It's tumbling down again today, more than 1,000 points. CNN's Allison Kosick is at the New York Stock Exchange for us. And Allison, the Dow and S&P 500 both entering into bear market territory today. Hi, Jake. Yes, the S&P 500 in bear market territory, and it looks like if numbers close where they are for the Dow, the Dow could enter into a bear market. That would be a 20 percent fall from a recent high. Numbers aside, what a bear market essentially means is that investors are growing increasingly optimistic about the market, and it's easy to see why. Just this week, we've seen three separate thousand-point-plus moves in the Dow, and it's only Wednesday. So as the bell rings, it looks like, yes, the Dow has entered bear market territory. And Allison, how long could we see the volatility or market drops? Is there a floor? There it is down more than 1,400 points today. How long is this going to go on, do we know, and and do you anticipate a floor? You asked that there's a floor? Yes, there's a floor, but the question is, where is it? I don't think investors really know where it is. This is territory that really is unchartered. The problem is the number of coronavirus cases is accelerating. And I think until we see those numbers decrease, I think we are going to continue to see this crazy volatility. And it's really hard to put a cost on the unknown. We don't know how much of an impact the virus is going to have on world economies. We don't know how much of a cost it's going to have on businesses, everything from retail to restaurants to airlines, you name it. We just don't know the costs. And investors are kind of swimming in this sea of of a world where we're using pandemic and bear market in the same sentence. Uh, Who would have thought that in 2020? Jake? All right, Alison Kozak at the New York Stock Exchange for us. Thank you so much. Today, a stark warning from one of the nation's top medical experts, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's director since 1984 of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And Fauci was asked a simple question by the chairwoman of the House Oversight Committee about the coronavirus outbreak, which as of right now has claimed 33 American lives and infected more than 1,000 individuals in the U.S. Is the worst yet to come, Dr. Fauci? Yes, it is. I can say we will see more cases and things will get worse than they are right now. Bottom line, it's going to get worse. Bottom line, it's going to get worse. The World Health Organization confirming today that this is a global pandemic. A crisis like this requires leaders who understand how to make government bureaucracies function, people who trust experts in medicine and science, credible sources of factual information, capabilities demonstrated by Dr. Fauci, and faculties that even the president's supporters at the Conservative National Review, which today assailed President Trump for not passing muster in leadership metrics, note that have been lacking in the president. Dr. Fauci's warning that things are going to get worse is, is a jarring contrast to what President Trump told the public just yesterday. We're doing a great job with it, and it will go away. Just stay calm. It will go away. Just stay calm. It will go away, the president says. Here's Dr. Fauci. If we are complacent and don't do really aggressive containment and mitigation, the number could go way up and be involved in many, many millions. At every turn in this crisis, the president has publicly downplayed the crisis. Last month, he falsely falsely promised within a couple of days, the number of cases are going to, quote, be down to close to zero. Not true. Last Friday, he said he wanted to keep Americans with coronavirus stuck at sea on a cruise ship 
because he wanted to keep the numbers of cases low. And through it all, the president keeps noting how, how many Americans die each year from the common flu. He tweeted this week, quote, so last year, 37,000 Americans died from the common flu. Nothing is shut down. Life and the economy go on. At this moment, there are 546 case, confirmed cases of coronavirus with 22 deaths. Think about that, the president said. Well, here's what Dr. Fauci had to say about that. I mean, people always say, well, the flu, you know, the flu does this, the flu does that. The flu has a mortality of 0.1%. Sure. This has a mortality of 10 times that. Experts believe that the novel coronavirus is not only deadlier than the flu, it could also be more easily transmissible than the common flu. States of emergency have now been declared in 19 states, and even the president's allies are finding his response inadequate, as CNN's Nick Watt now reports. Schools, houses of worship, other large facilities now shut down within this one-mile radius containment zone. New Rochelle, uncomfortably close to the largest city in this country. You know you have an intense cluster. Uh, stop large gatherings where you have a large cluster of people who are infected. It's called common sense. Uh, and that's what we announced with New Rochelle. In Washington state now, no gatherings of more than 250 people allowed across three counties, affecting nearly 4 million people. These events that are prohibited are gatherings for social, recreational, spiritual and other matters, including but not limited to community, civic, public, leisure, faith-based or sporting events. The governor has said that if more isn't done to slow the spread, Washington could see a quarter million cases within a few months. Life across this country is now changing. The Golden State Warriors will play to an empty arena tomorrow night. The Giants just cancelled an exhibition game. San Francisco just banned all gatherings of 1,000 plus. Kentucky's governor now recommending cancelling all church services. I know that there's going to be some, some pushback on it. I wouldn't recommend it if I did not believe that it was necessary. Symptoms and severity vary, but here's part of one patient's story. Both my lungs are... I can't think straight. Both my lungs have fluid in my lungs. And he's living in isolation. I feel like I'm in a, in a jail cell and just can't get away, you know. So, hopefully, I'll be out of here soon. It's, it's, it's very lonely. It's, it's a lonely place to be. Meanwhile, passengers from the Grand Princess who've been confined here in Oakland now arriving and entering quarantine on military bases. It's been a slow process. There were 21 confirmed cases on board. It's going to be about an hour and a half before we start getting your bus unloaded. No. And a difficult one. I'm having a little... Difficulty breathing. I always suffer from shortness of breath. Now, we're told that everyone will be off this boat by the end of the day today, although we were also told that yesterday. Now, I don't want to be alarmist, but I do want to share something that the German chancellor said today. She says, by the way, Germany has maybe 500 or so more cases, confirmed cases right now than the U.S., and Angela Merkel is saying her experts believe that 60 to 70 percent of the German population will eventually become infected. Jake, that could be somewhere around 50 million people. All right. Nick Watt, thank you so much. Uh, joining me now is New Rochelle, New York City manager Chuck Strom. 
Uh, Chuck, thanks for joining us. A, a one-mile containment zone uh, around New Rochelle. It allows for freedom of movement, but it closes large gatherings at places such as schools or houses of worship. Let me just ask you, uh, on a pract- as a practical matter, if a person lives in the containment zone, but their child goes to school outside New Rochelle, what should they do? Are they allowed in and out? Yes, they are allowed in and out, Jake. Thanks for having me. Uh, Students that live inside the containment zone but go to school outside of the zone are free to go to school. At the same time, those that live outside of the containment zone but their school is in it cannot go to school. If New Rochelle is the largest cluster of coronavirus cases in the country, which it is as far as we know, should New Rochelle residents consider taking even more drastic action, such as not leaving New Rochelle or or staying in homes as much as possible? Well, we're telling uh, people based on the guidance we're getting from the public health professionals at the county and state level uh, that the vulnerable populations, particularly the 60, uh, the senior citizens above 80 and those that have compromised health situations, that they should do their best to stay at home as much as possible. We're told that others can move about uh, freely and until we're told differently, we'll just follow the health guidelines that are given to us by the state and county health professionals. How many people in New Rochelle uh, have coronavirus uh, as of now, uh, as far as you know? The numbers that we got today that uh, I got were 108 people in Westchester County as a whole. 92 of those are New Rochelle, and they all seem to still be in and around that original cluster up at the synagogue uh, up in the northern end of the city. And so, I mean, is there, what's the reason you think that, that this big cluster is in New Rochelle? Is it because somebody who had it, went to uh, Beth Israel Synagogue, I think it is, uh, I might have the name wrong, and, and uh, at a time that a lot of people were there and that's how the infection spread? Yeah, it's, it was Young Israel of uh, New Rochelle. Uh, there was a gentleman who they call the index case who uh, had the virus. He went to three separate events a couple of weekends ago. One was a funeral, one was a bat mitzvah, and one was a uh, general service. And that's a synagogue of up to about a thousand people, uh, men, women, and children. And uh, that's why we think the infection, that's why we're told the infection seems to be centered in that area. Those folks have been quarantined uh, since uh, about a week ago and will stay that way until Saturday. And that was the effort to try to contain it as best uh, possible from the health officials. So CNN's Erica Hill spoke with one New Rochelle resident today who is not feeling well does not want to be a public health threat, but cannot get any information about testing. Um, How can the containment zone be effective if people don't know what to do if they believe they're showing symptoms? What should this person do? What uh, we have been told by both county and state officials is if you're feeling uh, like you might have something uh, similar to this disease, you should first call your personal physician and do not go to the emergency room unannounced. Then you should have your physician set up a visit for you to the emergency room. And at the emergency room, they'll take the steps necessary to protect both uh, the workers and other people in the hospital, the healthcare professionals. And then from there, uh, the county and state health department will be notified and testing will be scheduled. Look, I, I wish there was more uh, testing available. There's supposed to be a testing center opening here soon, according to the governor. And uh, the more testing we can get done, and the quicker we can get that, the better, because uh, you're right, people are concerned and uh, they want to be able to see if they have this or not. It just seems odd to me because we keep hearing from the White House that 
millions of testing kits are getting out there and you are in the biggest cluster in the United States and you're telling me that you don't have the testing kits you need? Uh, What I'm saying is that I don't know that we have as many as we need. Obviously, the city is not doing the testing ourselves, so I'm really depending on the state and the county. But I don't think there's been any secret to the fact that there haven't been enough testing kits for some time now. And uh, I think most of the testing that's been done here in New Rochelle has been done on the people in this synagogue that had contact with the index patients. So obviously, uh, with a cluster like this and with New Rochelle being sort of the epicenter of the of the virus and not only the state but uh, maybe outside of Washington the country we'd like to see as many testing kits and as much testing as available and it's very frustrating for us to answer phone calls from constituents asking the same questions you're asking us and really not being able to tell them that there's testing readily available for them and just to go here and get tested Chuck Strom uh, thank you so much for your time sir appreciate it and best of luck handling this crisis Thank you very much, Jake. Good to be with you. Schools and big events canceled. Major companies asking employees to work from home. We're going to talk to two experts about the potential ways to curb and contain the coronavirus. And a CNN investigation, some medical workers caring for some of the first evacuees from China say they did not have the proper protective gear. Wait until you see where they went after they worked in the quarantine zone. Stay with us. We have some breaking news for you now. Public schools in Seattle will be closed for at least two weeks to combat the spread of the novel coronavirus. That means starting tomorrow, more than 53,000 children in Seattle will not be going to school. This comes at the same time several major colleges and universities are telling students that classes will be held virtually instead of in person. Athena Jones has all the latest. A growing number of colleges and universities suspending classes. As Harvard's campus empties out at the end of this week for spring break, students living on campus are being asked to pack up their things and leave until further notice. They're making us move out by Sunday morning Sunday morning at 5 p.m. from all the dorms. Uh, but I think we have to stay calm, and that's what we're doing. Harvard's decision to move all in-person classes online was not taken lightly, the university president says. President Lawrence Bacow telling students, we are doing this not just to protect you, but also to protect other members of our community who may be more vulnerable to this disease than you are. I definitely understand the precaution. Um, It's definitely coming from like a young person who maybe the corona threat isn't as pressing for me, upsetting that I maybe won't be able to finish my freshman year the way I wanted to. But I also like sympathize and understand like where the university is coming from. Georgetown University announcing similar measures. From coast to coast, schools are suspending or even canceling in-person classes, opting instead to teach remotely, including schools like Duke, Yale, and Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Schools are heeding the advice of top infectious disease experts to take caution with high population areas, limiting in-person interaction where the disease can move quickly start seriously looking at this kind of mitigation. They call it social distancing, but it's common sense stuff. You don't want to go to a massive gathering, particularly if you're a vulnerable person. K-12 schools are also temporarily closing in some districts across the country, including Elk Grove Unified School District in Northern California and the North Shore School District in Western Washington, which is moving classes online. In New Rochelle, New York, one of the hardest hit parts of the country, multiple schools will be closed for the next two weeks. 
One of the places where people gather together, particularly is the school systems and schools uh, and other, other areas, uh, events and, and daily or weekly activities. And we believe that the most important thing from a public health standpoint is to, to minimize that. We've also learned that a teacher at the United Nations International School in Manhattan has tested positive for COVID-19. That teacher had not traveled internationally in the last few months. Now two schools are closed until spring break begins on March 20th. Bottom line here, this is a trend that is not likely to end soon. Social distancing and virtual instruction are becoming the rule, not just at here, but at schools all across the country. Jake? All right, Athena. In uh Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thanks so much. Joining me now to discuss Dr. Amy Compton Phillips. She oversees 51 hospitals across six Western states, including the hospital that treated the first U.S. coronavirus patient. Also with me in studio is Dr. James Phillips. He's the chief of disaster and operational medicine at George Washington University Hospital. Dr. Compton Phillips, let me start with you. You're in Seattle. Is the public school system there making the right move by not having classes for at least two weeks? Well, exactly as your reporter just talked about, social distancing is one of the key ways that we can start mitigating the spread of, of an epidemic. And we are definitely in the midst of an epidemic here in Seattle. It's, uh, it, it's kind of a ghost town outside. Um, and so we need to be able to do things that limit people congregating that can facilitate transmission of the virus. So it's going to be challenging, but it's a good move. Uh, Dr. Phillips, um, should more universities and more school systems consider canceling in-person classes, or do you think uh, that some of them might be overreacting? I think that they have to consider it very strongly. When we look at this virus and the spread, and we compare ourselves to the other countries, like China, for instance, Mm -hmm. and we see how that new case curve has flattened out there, that's the result of very authoritarian, very strong measures that keep people away from other people. We're not going to do that here. So I think we need to be more aggressive in the way that we do things in our culture and our norms. And part of that is restricting these large gatherings. Uh, And Dr. Compton Phillips, uh, the World Health Organization finally declared the novel coronavirus outbreak a pandemic. You're on the front lines of this outbreak in the U.S. Um, Do you think uh, that it's too late in the sense that the World Health Organization took a long time to declare it a pandemic? uh, Or does it not really matter that much? To be honest with you, it doesn't really matter that much. On the ground, what we're dealing with right now are people who are infected and with the community transmission that we're having here up and down the West Coast, as well as moving inland now. And so um, whether or not it's happening in Mongolia and Argentina probably matters less than it's happening um, across on the east side of Seattle and down in the peninsula and over in the Olympics. And so what we're having to do right now is make sure we marshal all the resources across every health system, across our public sector, and saying, how are we going to make sure we have the tools and information and ventilators and test kits available for people wherever they are in our part of the world? Uh, Dr. Phillips, Axios is reporting uh, that Congress's in-house doctor told Capitol Hill staffers that he expects 70 to 150 million Americans will contract the coronavirus. Now, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease specialist, told Congress that the virus could have a fatality rate of 1%. Uh, That's conservative because the World Health Organization had it above 3. 1% of 70 million, which is the lower end of that, that's 700,000 deaths. Um, Is that a reasonable estimate or is that a worst case scenario? Well, I think that we need to start looking at things in terms of Best case scenarios, medium, and worse. There's concentric circles of how bad this thing is going to get. 
for weeks we've seen people trying to throw estimates out there of 20 to 70 percent of the world's population. We know our at-risk Contracting groups. it, not, contracting not dying it. Con- right, okay. Contracting that's an it. That's one, of the, that's one of the tricky parts about the mortality rate that people need to clarify when they speak about it. Is it the mortality rate of the general public or just those who contract it? Regardless, we won't know those answers until this calms down and is over. Uh, and they get testing kits out there so we know how prevalent it really is. Yeah, and, and, and even more so than the kits, and it's an important distinction, is we can have all the nasal swabs and test tubes in the world, but until we get the machines that, and, the, and the right primers and chemicals, if you will, to run those tests closer to the patient, we're still at a disadvantage. All right, everyone stick around. Uh, we're going to talk more about this coming up. Health workers grabbing coffee and visiting tourist hotspots after treating coronavirus evacuees without the right protective gear, according to sources. That's a CNN investigation that we're going to bring to you next. Stay with us. Three healthcare professionals are telling CNN that medical staff were ill-prepared and ill-equipped when the first evacuees from Wuhan, China, landed in California weeks ago. This echoes concerns first raised by a whistleblower to the Department of Health and Human Services that said a different group of workers also lacked proper gear. And as CNN senior investigative correspondent Drew Griffin now reports for us, they handled hundreds of people who may have been exposed to the novel coronavirus. When the first evacuees landed at Travis Air Force Base from Wuhan, China, they were met by a U.S. government team equipped and ready to handle Americans who may have been exposed to the deadly coronavirus. Throughout their quarantine, we will be following CDC guidance for infection control. But that was not the case, according to three healthcare professionals who worked with the quarantine passengers. All three tell CNN medical staff were ill-prepared, not given proper personal protective equipment, and all three say the lapse could have led to a possible spread of the virus if any of the passengers carried COVID-19 back with them from China. Among the complaints, no protective clothing, inadequate face masks used to prevent dust, not airborne germs. The workers tell CNN even cleaning was inadequate. Baby wipes used to clean surfaces instead of medical-grade antibacterial wipes. And though advised to maintain a six-feet distance between themselves and evacuees, two of the sources say during the 14-day quarantine, that rule was not followed. Failure to follow the proper procedures is troubling to infectious disease experts, especially since it's believed even people showing no symptoms can spread this virus. We think that at least some people never show infection at all, never show symptoms of the infection, but they can spread the disease to others. CNN has obtained this after-action report filed with the Department of Health and Human Services by a disaster worker, stating that when the worker complained about the lack of protective equipment, the worker was told, if you don't feel comfortable, we'll find another job for you. Anytime you have an epidemic of with a new pathogen, you're always going to have missteps. Uh, the key is making sure those missteps are not repeated over and over again. The sources speaking to CNN echo concerns raised by a whistleblower from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, who filed a complaint about a different group of workers, saying more than a dozen people who worked with the first Americans evacuated from China at two Air Force bases were sent into quarantine areas without personal protective equipment, training or experience. The Department of Health and Human Services has launched an investigation into the complaints at both Travis and March Air Force bases in California to include what protocols and procedures were followed at both facilities. It's really a disaster if we don't 
properly protect our healthcare workers. If they get sick, not only are they no longer able to care for patients, but also they can transmit the virus in their communities. So there's kind of a double threat to not uh, caring for our healthcare force. An even bigger concern to the sources speaking to CNN is the possibility workers could have easily transmitted the virus outside Travis Air Force Base, claiming they left the quarantine area every day with no restrictions, wearing the same clothes, going straight to a Starbucks on base, to local hotels, some even enjoying day-off field trips to San Francisco tourist spots, including Alcatraz Island. They're spraying down streets with bleach in China, one source told CNN, and we were out there wearing our uniforms. California's first suspected community spread illness took place near Travis Air Force Base. It's still unclear how that person contracted the virus. Jake, the quarantine workers talking to CNN return to their civilian jobs. None have developed symptoms, nor have they been tested for coronavirus. Jake? Drew Griffin, thank you for that. Uh, we're back with Dr. Amy Compton Phillips and Dr. James Phillips. Uh, Dr. Amy Compton Phillips, let me start with you. Uh, what's your reaction to, to Drew Griffin's report? I, I find it st- stunning, personally, to hear that uh, these first responders uh, went into this situation uh, without the proper training and gear. It's been really interesting over the past few years that we have taken what we used to consider skilled professionals that are um, there prepared to help us in case of an emergency and um, somehow labeled them as members of a bureaucratic state. (laughs) Um, And so I think actually recognizing that we have skilled professionals from places like the CDC and from our, our public health infrastructure there to help us in case of an emergency and we depend on that skill set. And so it just is disheartening to me to um, not have that skill set be recognized and honored and drawn upon and be ready and available for when it's needed. And uh, Dr. Phillips, this this uh, actually reminds me of a story that I broke a few days ago. A first responder in Kirkland, Washington, telling me that he was in the life care center. That's the nursing home where at least 19 patients have died. One of the other clusters uh, a week ago to, the, to this day, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and workers there weeks into this crisis didn't have the proper gear, weren't wearing the proper PPE. How, how can this be so incompetently run? It's another example uh, that the public needs to understand that um, we're not, we need more protection. There's a vulnerable population of older, and older patients and those with comorbidities. But then there's also those who are the most valuable to society. Those are our firefighters, our police. And I think we'll soon find that our healthcare workers are an incredibly valuable commodity. And if we start losing those folks in this fight, we're going to be at a real disadvantage. So I would like to know some more concrete steps from HHS. What is the exact pathway for that equipment to get to me? I have friends working in hospitals where they are running out of N95 masks. We, we, there's stories that, um, that are trickling in over social media and everywhere else around the country that despite what's being said, we don't have the equipment. We need answers. Uh, and, and Dr. Uh, uh, Compton Phillips, let me ask you, um, we have some breaking news. The acting Homeland Security Deputy Secretary, Ken Cuccinelli, uh, said that coronavirus travel restrictions for Europe are under discussion. Um, this would be a huge deal. Do you think it's uh, the right thing to do, given the, the outbreak in places such as Italy? It's really hard uh, to, to, you know, 
make sure that we're not getting virus from abroad and put a lot of energy there while we have the virus here on our own shores. And I think making sure that we devote energy and resources to exactly what Dr. Phillips was just talking about, making sure we have the appropriate PPE gear available for every healthcare worker and first responder so that our nurses and our doctors and our firefighters and our policemen can actually do their job and not be vectors for transmission. I think um, for us being able to manufacture test kits, that is a great use of energy. But thinking about um, how do we disrupt the rest of the economy that's still going on um, through closing the borders down, it, we, the horse is already out of the barn. It's already here. Do you agree with that, Dr. Phillips? Absolutely. It's, it's a brilliant here. answer. There's, there's, there's so many different aspects to this viral outbreak that go far beyond infection with the virus. The resources that we may lose from our first responders to our paramedics uh, to um, just hospital beds in general, all of that is going to have a significant trickle-down effect on other people who don't even get the virus. You know, one of the things that has me concerned about school closings, and they're, and they're necessary, 20 million American kids, that's the only good meal they get every day. Yeah. And we have to consider that we're going to see things such as nutritional deficiencies in young kids who aren't, who aren't getting food. So the, the, the trickle-down effects of this are vast, and there are people looking at it, but we need more. Not to mention uh, all the child care issues and the economies surrounding uh, universities and schools. Uh, Dr. Amy uh, Compton-Phillips and Dr. James Phillips here in studio, thank you so much for your expertise. We appreciate it. President Trump just said he will speak to the nation tonight. What we know about his message, that's next. In our politics lead today, President Trump says he will make a statement tonight around 8 p.m. Eastern about the spread of the novel coronavirus. What message the president conveys will be closely watched as the president has downplayed the potential impact of the disease for weeks and shared false information with the public about the infection rate, a vaccine and much more. CNN's Caitlin Collins joins us now. Uh, And Caitlin, President Trump was was meeting with bank leaders today when he said he would make a statement tonight about the coronavirus uh, will he be focusing on the health aspect, the, the economy? Do we know what he's going to say? He said it could be both of those, Jake, but he didn't elaborate. He only said he's made some decisions and he's going to be informing us of those tonight. But, of course, you've got to keep this in perspective here because just yesterday the president said he was also going to hold a press conference on the economic steps his administration was going to take to blunt the impact of the coronavirus. And, of course, that press conference never happened. Now, he's been hinting on Twitter today that it could be some kind of executive action here. We've been hearing talk about a possible emergency declaration that they could do, travel restrictions. And, of course, he was there meeting with those bank CEOs who definitely want some kind of financial stimulus here as they are looking at how this is going to be affecting their banks and other industries as this outbreak is continuing to spread. But what people are also going to be looking for from the president is some kind of concrete action or words that are not downplaying this because you just heard him there in the room with these bank CEOs saying, you know, four weeks ago, no one knew about this and we couldn't have seen this coming when, of course, four weeks ago is February. They had already put a task force together here at the White House and gone forward with some travel restrictions with China. So, of course, people have been taking this seriously, though people around the president, even his own advisors, have been questioning how seriously he is taking it. Lately, they've said he's viewing it through the lens of the coverage, and he sees that he is not getting good coverage of this, which could be leading to this address that we're going to see from the president around 8 o'clock tonight, Jake, he says. Not sharing misinformation would be a good start. Caitlin Collins at the White House, thanks so much. Breaking news, the NCAA has just announced it will hold its March Madness tournament games, but without 
fans, allowing only essential staff and limited family to attend the games in its upcoming Division I men's and women's tournaments because of coronavirus fears, especially when people are in crowds. Coming up next, still in the fight, Bernie Sanders admits he's losing but not going anywhere as he lays out a battle plan for Sunday's CNN Univision debate. Stay with us. Last night, obviously, was not a good night for our campaign from a delegate point of view. Poll after poll, including exit polls, show that a strong majority of the American people support our progressive agenda. That was Senator Bernie Sanders earlier today making clear he has no plans to drop out of the Democratic presidential contest after his rival, Vice President Joe Biden, handily won four out of six states during last night's Super Tuesday contest. Right now, Biden is ahead by more than 100 delegates. And at one point today, Sanders seemed to admit he knows why Biden is winning. We are losing the debate over electability. I cannot tell you how many people our campaign has spoken to who have said, and I quote, I like what your campaign stands for. I agree with what your campaign stands for. But I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because I think Joe is the best candidate to defeat Donald Trump. That is what millions of Democrats and independents today believe. Let's discuss. Uh, so, Jen Psaki, let me start with you. Sanders in those comments said he's winning the ideological battle because polls show that people really support his plans. And even in states where uh, Joe Biden won, mm-hmm. uh, a majority of Democratic voters, according to exit polls, supported Medicare for all, which Joe Biden doesn't support. He also said uh, he's winning the generational battle since he's winning uh, voters under the age of 50. Well, I think people over the age of 50 might argue their votes also count. Uh, go figure. Um, but look, I think Sanders does have a point in that there are there has been movement uh, in support for Medicare for all and a number of early states we've seen from the exit polls. Uh, and that is an indication of that being uh, a clear issue that will be debated around the Democratic platform. Uh, but Joe Biden is here because African-Americans in South Carolina and then states in the South decided that he was the right candidate to take on Donald Trump. Is a big portion of that electability? Sure. But we've also seen in exit polls that questions like who's best here to handle a crisis? He's winning that. He was winning that by large margins. Who can bring the country together, which I think is a piece that a lot of Democrats across the country feel strongly they want in the next president. So yes, on policy issues, but I think on a number of character issues, in addition to electability, Joe Biden brought people to his side. Amanda, is there a path for Bernie Sanders? I mean, right now, I mean, 100 or so delegates isn't insurmountable, Mm -hmm. but the next four states are going to be, they're states that Sanders lost last time. And Sanders' base seems to be getting smaller. People who voted for him in 2016 are voting for Biden now. Yeah, he did worse in the states of Michigan, Washington, and Idaho than he did in 2016. And that's because this revolution that he's promised for so long that would be made up of young and non-traditional voters aren't showing up. That's why he's not electable. And so I'm confused. You know, I can be the mean one here to Sanders because I'm the Republican. Why he feels the need that to dictate 
to Joe Biden how to win. The coalition that Joe Biden is putting together of older voters, suburban voters, African-Americans, and people in the suburbs is how you win a general election. And now he's going to go to the debate and try to push Biden to the left, which will alienate potentially some of those suburban Republican voters that are coming to Biden. That makes no sense to me. What do you think? Well, one key constituency that is missing from Vice President Biden's coalition that was key to President Obama's election in 2008 and in 2012 is young voters. In fact, let me just play a little sound from Bernie Sanders. Come right back to you. Let's play that sound. Sanders talking about how the younger generations are with him. To the Democratic establishment, in order to win in the future, you need to win the voters who represent the future of our country. And you must speak to the issues of concern to them. And not only do young voters overwhelmingly back Bernie Sanders, Overwhelmingly. they also, even though they voted in large majorities for Hillary Clinton, they did not turn out in the 2016 general election in the numbers that would have potentially made a great deal of difference in what was an incredibly close election. And so I think what I read was a very different tone from Senator Sanders compared mm-hmm. with last week when the refrain of his uh, press conference was, Joe is going to have to explain. And he attacked him on trade, on his vote for the Iraq war, on his position on Social Security and a host of issues. This time it was, Joe, what are you going to do? And so it did seem like he was symbolically mm. passing the torch and he wants to use this debate as an opportunity to influence Joe Biden's platform and ensure that he is going to bring along young voters and others who are skeptical about what a Joe Biden candidacy means for priorities that remain very popular, not just among liberals or progressives, but still the broader Democratic electorate, if not voters whose uh, voices will absolutely matter if they don't feel energized to get behind Joe Biden in a general. And Tulu, we also heard uh, Vice President Biden last night in his remarks in Philadelphia extend something of an olive branch to Sanders and his supporters. Take a listen. We need you. We want you. And there's a place in our campaign for each of you. And I want to thank Bernie Sanders and his supporters for their tireless energy and their passion. We share a common goal. What you see there is Vice President Joe Biden really switching to general election mode. He's basically turning the page, saying essentially this primary is over. If you look at the math, if you look at the endorsements that he's getting, Andrew Yang last night saying what basically all Democrats who are looking at this map are saying, which is that there's no path for Bernie Sanders. And for Vice President Joe Biden, when he looks at some of those exit polls, he does need to pick up some of those Sanders voters, some of the younger people. He's got to figure out a way to do it without alienating the suburban voters. But I think that speech last night was the first step in that process. We'll have to see during the debate how contentious it gets or whether or not they're able to come together with a sort of a joint platform that not only brings along some of the Sanders voters, but also allows some of those suburban voters to stick with Joe Biden as well. It's going to take some agility from the vice president. (laughs) Thanks, one and all. The White House Coronavirus Task Force is meeting right now. Coming up, Vice President Pence will give an update. Stay with us. Coming up this weekend on CNN, don't miss the next Democratic presidential debate, the first man-on-man contest. I'll be moderating along with CNN's Dana Bash and Univision's Jorge Ramos. That's live on CNN Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show with the lead. CNN, our coverage on CNN continues right now. See you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN Flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.